If you ever wanted to start your own podcast, if you ever had a thought in your head and you just felt the entire world needed an opportunity to hear your thoughts and all that kind of great stuff, well, if so, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor Podcasting. It is the easiest platform I have found to make a podcast. They have editing tools, episode creation tools. There's even a green room function. Check it all out. On top of that, they even distribute the whole thing for you for free. The entire thing is free. You can get onto Apple Podcasts. You can get onto Spotify Podcasts, which are, you know, the two that I find get the most traction. Then you get Stitcher and all kinds of other stuff, Blackbox, Whatbox, and all the other boxes that I'm not familiar with. If you are interested in making your own podcast right now, download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Welcome back to the Ghost Cool Magazine podcast. I'm your host, OJ. In today's episode, Keithy chats with Yarbo all about her new record, Skin Blood, Women Roses, is out now on Consoling Sounds. Ghost Cult Magazine is honored to welcome in the one and only Jarbo. How are you today? Uh, actually, I'm kind of overwhelmed at the moment because I've taken on more than <laughs> more than I should have, and that's a that is a trait that I I have. I I constantly get involved in projects, and so they stack up. And of course, that's a problem because it can lead to burnout. Where you just <laughs> you just you just kind of, you know, can't take it anymore. But <laughs> but now I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I'm moving through projects. I, I, projects come to me. I don't have to look for them. They just come my way. So, <laughs> of course. So I, and I want to, and I want to, to do them all. Um, and, and sometimes I do muster up the, you know, the courage to say no. I've done that a few times um, this year. So, but right now this, the, the plate is pretty full with, recordings and uh, a couple of um, soundtracks for short films and and, and uh, various and a sundry in, in addition to the biggest thing I've ever done in my entire life and that is selling uh, a home that uh, my mother had and that my parents bought in 1959 so it's kind of an enormous project I've taken that on and so I'm constantly stressed out <laughs> and, uh, yeah and then um pet fingers crossed for a tour yeah tours tours course. have been you, you know they've been um i mean it was postponed then rescheduled and postponed then rescheduled and postponed and so now i'm hoping it'll actually um the, the revised tour the one i was going to do was for illusory which i had done for consoling sounds and that's my favorite album that i've ever made i i uh I did it alone, of course, and it's um, something I really put a lot of heart into, and and it flows perfectly from from one track to the next, and and I was really happy with the way the revised version of Man of Hate came out, and all of it was um, just like, like my soul on a platter, really, and, <laughs> and so so the the tour was going to be great for that. It was going to be multimedia with the film and all this, I was going to go back on the keyboard and, and then P. Emerson Williams was going to do electric guitar with loops and all this kind of stuff. And it was going to be so great. And then of course it was, it never happened. So now um, a different tour is supposed to happen starting in November. And it's a co-tour with someone that I greatly, greatly admire. And that's Joseph Van Weissam, the, the lute player. And he's so talented and so amazing. And, and, um, I'm a massive fan of his work. So, so if that will please happen, <laughs> universe, <laughs> I'd be really happy that I can do that. So that would start, that would be the month of November into, um, December. 
And um, I'm just hoping everything's going to come together to make that happen with the, you know, lack of the, the pandemic inter- interfering with it or certainly what's happening in in Europe right now, not interfering with it. And, and some by some miracle, I can we can go out there and, and, and uh, you know, really have a fulfilling experience with the audience. So I hope I hope that this will happen. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. And except for the uh, unbridled stress, obviously the uh, problem with too much work is a good problem. And, and certainly I wish you the best with your family situation and the home. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I can't imagine how it must have been for you the last few years to not tour at the clip you have been used to, at least for, you know, the entire time I followed your career, you've been on, you know, touring you know, act. You know, touring is you know where your bread and butter has been. I think of you as an incredible live artist, as much as I you know appreciate and love some of these records my whole life. But yeah, I can't imagine what it must have been like for you to be you know home on one hand, the opportunity to create more, but on the other hand, we were all kind of caged in. So it's you know it's been it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I'm sure uh, uh, many uh, musicians and and you know stage performers of all kinds can relate to it. Because what happens is you realize when you're off the road, as it were, what happens is you realize what a great part of your, um, I guess, life force, uh, identity, whatever word you want to use, that is. And how, how, you know, when that happens, you you go through a, um, you know, kind of a... a, a real crisis because it's it's uh it's you're reevaluating you know something that you've done pretty much your entire life you know as adult life as 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 what is part of you and how you express yourself and it's a valid form of communication because if you're someone like me who's an extreme introvert and very shy and very inward and uh, kind of antisocial in a way, like it has a hard time, um, you know, in, in, in group situations and that kind of thing. Uh, people like us generally feel more comfortable in, on a stage or, or performing. It's interesting. And so, 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 so um, you know, it's, it's been a way of bonding with people and, and, um, I really look, I like, I like being in, in, in venues where I can be right there, you know, with people like either amongst them or nearby near them and, and, and kind of have a um, communication. And it's, 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 I don't like to use the word cathartic, but it's, it's like an exchange, you know, their energy, my energy. And I've talked about this with some other performers and some performers only, only uh, put out a vibration or, or an energy and they don't absorb it in. Whereas I've always felt that it was an exchange. And one of the problems of being an empath and, and, you know, feeling an energy and, and kind of channeling as an overused word, but channeling that energy is that it can be very, very draining, but it can also ultimately make you very strong because you, you're in touch with humanity. You're in touch with, emotions and feelings and i can read people i can read their their eyes and their facial expressions and their body languages and i read it and it and i and i feel it and so it's not like you're just there giving to your 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 to and fro if you follow yes of course and i've actually felt that energy lucky for me in my life several times i've gotten to see you perform three times early days with swans solo and then just a few years ago at roadburn when i covered it uh that seems like a lifetime ago but it's uh four years did, ago now did, did you see the the roadburn with father murphy i did i did it was oh, unbelievable good. 
Was, yeah, and- because because the, the 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 first time I did it, I, I had done um, the, a tour, and I had done a tour with Esoteric as as one of the bands on that tour with me, and so when I um, uh, got the uh, Supersonic Festival. Um, I had already come home to the United States. So to fly all the way over to England just to do that one show was very expensive in, in terms of what they, you know, offer you to do supersonic. So I had, so esoteric said, we'll, we'll be the band, you know, and, so, and, so, and they knew they're, they're pro musicians. They're like music professors, those men. And so it was, it was great. I flew over there alone and then we just did one rehearsal at their rehearsal studio there and and then boom we were on the stage (laughs) and it was great so walter was in the audience for that show the curator for you know for roadburn and and he came up to me and said okay well that's great so i'm going to put you on the main stage because of what i saw and of course that was with esoteric you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so it was, you know, so, um, so, you know, it was just kind of funny. So that's how I wound up doing that, <laughs> that stage at the, for the Mahakali uh, tour, or well, it, was, it was the tour, it was the second Mahakali tour, it was 2010 tour, not the 2009 tour. And, um, but that was funny. So that's how that all happened the first time was Walter being at Supersonic and, and seeing me with the band Esoteric. He then uh, reached out when I did the European tour with Father Murphy and we did this incredible show in this building in the Netherlands. And it's it's this this building that has multiple layers of stages. And so we we it's an incredible professional performance building. So we were performing in this awesome space. I mean, it was mind-blowing acoustics. And, and Walter showed up for that and he came into the dressing room afterwards and said he was inviting us to do the road burn. And so that was so we were just jumping up and down we were so excited you know and i i love that tour so much and my god i can't even find the words to describe what a joy it was performing with with chiara and federico of of father murphy it was amazing they're so talented and they play multi-instrument and chiara you know she's incredible and so so this was just a dream come true so i'm so happy that you saw that and it was funny because that was they put us in this as you know, they put us into this uh, church, and it was incredibly hot, as I recall. And <laughs> it, was, it was the hottest, it, like one of the hottest days of the spring ever in the Netherlands. So, yeah. so, so afterwards, we heard that people had passed out, yep. and that that it was just a sweaty mess, and that people were suffering terribly in the venue. And so that was that was. Not, it was not good to hear because I was, I know I was really hot on stage. I mean, I could hardly breathe. I was so hot. So. Right. Of so. course. Of course. Yeah. That Actually, I don't think they have that venue access anymore. Het Patronet, I believe, is now uh, removed from the uh, playing field as a venue, but they've got another one that they've added. We're, we're big Roadburn fans. I love Walter. Uh, Roadburn is baked into the history of ghost cult we started as in the netherlands and in literally in tilburg in the netherlands where roadburn is uh and we always cover it and we're looking forward to the next one so uh, i'm so glad that i got to witness that so i've been fortunate to see you across your career across this wide swath of different projects which is what <laughs> kind of really excited me about the opportunity to, to listen to and talk to you about skin blood women roses mm-hmm. because i think some i think some fans will know some of this material 
and uh, some of it was out previously in different forms and I was familiar with maybe a, a quarter of it and then I got mm-hmm. to hear the whole breadth of this thing and I know there's some some bonus tracks that are probably familiar to some people some purists and you know obsessives who definitely know those songs but yeah this is a wonderful opportunity for you to recast some of this material and I wanted to kind of talk to you about sort of the opportunity to kind of unearth this beautiful gem that maybe some fans don't know about mm-hmm. sure yeah so yeah i uh yeah it's a it's a pretty start you know like not unlike a lot of your solo material um but yeah it's it's uh across a breadth of of different things as you would imagine in the jarbo style could be anything it could be but it's your music you know at the end of the day and this you know other than the cover which i want to talk about in a second uh i love some of this music i love the instrumentation and the arrangements of some of these tracks you know one thousand years and we'll fall apart and still a child are, are like earth shaking because they're you know just kind of presented a certain way i think that really just um you know really breathes life into them and brings them out yeah i um will fall apart i uh i did that i, I don't know if you know i got this grant uh, some years ago the work in progress grant and it was uh they were looking for quote cutting edge <laughs> performers and they gave me this budget and uh so the budget was enough money for me to put together what i wanted to, always to do which was rock theater <laughs> and so so i was able to hire i have all these people on stage so i had the band and and, and i had the fun of, I, I had in my mind exactly what i wanted to do so i went out and i saw various local artists performing and I wanted to have beautiful people on stage. I wanted the, the, the women to look, you know, just just gorgeous. I wanted the men. I wanted a, a beautiful looking, you know, <laughs> like 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 a, a representation of of the perfect, you know, rock theater band. So, so I went in and I hired, and then I had all these. And then I finally got a really cool guy on the drums who who I dressed up as a, um, like as a priest, you know, with a white collar. And so we we did this amazing. Uh, performance and and one of the highlights was in New York at the at the knitting factory when it was I think it was like Tribeca at that point and so the stage had a grand piano on it so the lady that um, was she was also a bass player and, and a piano player and she also played harp but so we were able to do we'll fall apart with um, could you let me on that heavy piano in that song and so she was able to play you know, to play that live on the grand piano. And it was really just a dream, you know, to be able to have like the real piano playing that, playing those heavy chords and, and to, to just kind of bring it to life the way that I remembered it being done in the studio, you know? And this was, this is the only time I've been able to do that, like with a full orchestrated, or, orchestrated uh, and, and, and visual to that song. Cause the song is extremely, as you know, having heard it, it's an extremely emotional song. And, and what was good about recording that for this album was um, it was a lesson for me in how you can, quote, break down emotionally as a, as a singer, or uh, certainly you could do it on an instrument as well. But in other words, there's a, there's a control, and then there's this lack of control with the control in the background. So you're not being like self-indulgent, um, you know, uh, you know, amateurish, like, you know, wallowing, you know, like, but you're controlled. Uh, you're not just being, being uh, histrionic in any way, but, but you're at that breaking point, 
And that to me was um was a really good thing to get down in the recording. So we did that, uh, the verses, we, we did those a couple of times through, and, and this was also another learning point for me in 1986 when this was recorded, was the engineer um, was, no, no, you know, this version. And I said, no, that's not the version. We're taking this take. And it was the take where I had just become the one that's used, where I had just become, um, you know, very emotive and, and, and just like, like, I, like you, could hear, you could hear that I meant every word. <laughs> and so, so that's the one that went on the, on the record. And so that's when that was a learning stage to say, OK, well, you know, the engineer may, may want the smoothest, but the smoothest delivery may not be the most impassioned delivery. So always go for the delivery that's that's genuine to you. Good advice. Good advice. I always wondered, actually, um, it's interesting that you mentioned this, uh, you know, sort of a theatrical imagining of, of a piece. I wondered if you had had kind of, a, you know, as a as a youth or when your formative mm-hmm. time, if you had a theater background, not not necessarily just drama, but actual musical theater. I know it's sometimes frowned upon. I came from musical theater, and I feel like it, you know, carries over to rock, jazz, everything. But uh, I wondered if you did. Well, looking back, I would say yes, because uh, first of all, my father traveled a lot, and he and I remember he would come back from. Places, you know, with um, like like he would get little costumes for me when he came back from travels, and and I would don the I would put on these costumes, and then they would have guests come over, and and then I would come out and do like a song and dance. So that was me performing, and I loved it because everyone you know made over me and thought it was great. So I would say that was the very earliest you know being rewarded for. You know, performing, <laughs> and, and so that was a type of theater because I would put on this little costume and I come prancing out, you know, <laughs> and, and and dance and sing, and and then he uh, enrolled me into you know every like I went into every choir, church, and school, and then uh, later on like a, a folk folk mass because it was a Catholic Catholic church, and so they started doing these folk masses with you know tambourines and acoustic guitars and that kind of thing. So then I moved on to that in addition to the regular choir and then in school all the different choirs and and the choirs were very good training it was very hard and I remember at the time being you know like I think I was I was one of two girls in the entire choir could hit the highest notes of the highest soprano part of the song so so then the teachers started teaching us Broadway hits you know and and, and even movie hits you know and, and so started learning all of those and that kind of kept me away it kind of moved me away I should say from from more formal way of singing in the choirs and more into um, you know the looser kind of uh, showbiz kind of <laughs> way of expressing yourself but looking back on it now it was still very canned and very contained you know and but so all of that was was you know definitely um i, I would say formal training with how with performing and and uh and and, and singing it was, and but then you know we started doing plays in school and I did audition for parts and I did get parts and I was very, uh, the teacher said I was very good at becoming another character, at changing my voice and becoming another character. And, and I think that um, that carried on into to the music that I started doing, was becoming different characters. And prior to joining Swans, I 
was working on the idea of becoming a, like a gallery performance artist. And so I was doing like this, this one thing that I did was that I met some street graffiti artists and, and street poets. I'd spray their words on the sidewalk and stuff. So we kind of became friends. And that led into recording what would become um, the Walls Are Bleeding cassette. And this was the mail art days when, when you would record your audio and then you would decorate your cassette and you'd send it all over the world. And you'd be trading tapes with people all over the world, you know, the whole mail art. So I started getting into that. Um, but what's cool about that is that that was also uh, putting myself into a different space because I walls for me was a was a before autism like it was before the person is rocking back and forth you know with their knees up to their chest and so that so it was basically I, I did two hours of of breaking down in the studio to where you were just completely just dis, just dis, destroyed emotionally and we recorded all that in a giant reel on a scully reel to reel and then edited it down and they even put that on the radio station wrek which is a freeform college progressive radio station and and the dj there had it in the cart playing it at noontime when people would be off for lunch and people thought that it was a real you know female you know, hysterically breaking down. And they were calling the station, like <laughs> freaking out, you know, mm -hmm. like what's going on? Is a girl being murdered in the station? <laughs> so this one, I knew it was a successful work of art. <laughs> nice. And, and mm -hmm. um, I've recently, uh, the, earlier this year, this group, they have their own label that this, this group, Black Leather Jesus, I don't know if you know them, they're like a, a collective of electronic musicians. And they they wrote me and they, they asked me if I wanted to do a split. And so I said, yeah, so a vinyl split. So I, so what I did was I, I edited the walls thing down, completely remixed it and turned it into like a probably even scary. <laughs> to me, it came out really scary. <laughs> so I put that on one side and they have their track on the other side. And... Um, they and I said, "What are you going to do for art?" and 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 he and I said, "I can submit something." So I said, "Sure." So I gave them one of my sketches, one of my drawings. Of, I call it energy field, and that's where I put my hand down, and I actually like I try to I just kind of shake and I just infuse like it's kind of like a laying on of hands, except it's a laying on of hands on a canvas, and and I kind of shake it and I just kind of give everything I have to it. And so that is what is on the cover. So I'm very, very excited about that. So that's like wall, that's coming full circle. That's pre-swans. And now that's going to be on, on vinyl. So I'm pretty, pretty excited. That is exciting. I was going to say, uh, you know, you've made it when people want to do a wellness check on you. You've affected them with your music. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned this laying of hands because there is a very... Uh, Southern Gothic churchy thing going on on some of these tracks, also almost mm -hmm. spiritual hymnals, uh, and you know, again, I it's impossible to to follow your career and not see the waves kind of reverberate across. And I know you're not interested in that, but you know, I, or or too super nostalgic. But I think you know, I think it's interesting that there's a a whole subgenre of of avant garde and underground and even extreme music now that has these elements in it and you were doing it, you know, 37 years ago. <laughs> <clears throat> 
Yeah, well, well, it, it's very true. Um, and, and I mentioned I mentioned the rock theater thing I got to do. The uh, one of the things that we did with that because I had a group of people to to choreograph and work with was the the show ended with doing a like, like a casting out of demons to the audience, and so we you know, we'd stick at our hands and we'd say out oh, demons out and then and they'd put our hands on the foreheads of the people in the front of the audience <laughs> it was really cool and then kimbra fowler of voluptuous horror karen black mm. she came shimmying out you know and it was it was awesome and it was like she was like this this like energy like the demon being exercised out so I've, oh yeah i've always had that that element that that's good that you pick up on that because i think it's pretty flagrant you know it's like <laughs> it's deliberate, you know, and, and certainly blood on your hands, which is on this album. I mean, that couldn't be more, um, you know, tribal. And, and, and it sounds like some kind of, you know, to me, it sounds like a primitive, uh, like, like a, a cult, you know, out, out in the, out in the woods or out in the, out in a, a field somewhere in an old church. And, and that's deliberate, you know, and I'm, I'm doing all these background vocals, like harmony vocals, um, I think somewhere and buried in those, uh, especially on the CD version, which was, of course, was enhanced for digital. I think you can even hear Michael's lone uh, harmony <laughs> buried in there somewhere. Mm. So, so we had a lot of fun with 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 that, you know, particular. And that, of course, became a. Um, Blood on Your Hands became a like a trademark song and Swans for me. I mean, I don't know how many times I've done that song live and Swans is just incredible. Blood on Your Hands and Mother Father. I mean, that was always you know the either the encore or you know the opening track or the track in the middle of the set. I mean, it was always it was always something that. And then of course when they came through, they play. I don't live in Atlanta anymore, but when they came through to Atlanta. Um, I went down to Atlanta and I, I joined them on stage for the, uh, for, for, for the middle of the set. And Michael wanted me to, to, to come out and do blood on your hands. And so of course, and then Marco was the, or, no, not Marco, but someone representing, you know, Marco's uh, document documentary was there with the camera and they filmed, filmed me doing that. And I think they put it, the, the documentary of doing that, but I mean, it's just like, there's blood on your hands and it all began, it all started in 1986 with recording of this record. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild. Time, time is insane and does weird things to me, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely have a, a swan story with you and it was like wetlands in the early nineties. And that's, I, I also was someone traded a tape to me with swans and oxbow. I distinctly remember those two records. Records, uh, one of the earlier ones, and I think Fuckfest by Oxbow, which was like my junior college <laughs> Bible for whatever reason, and uh, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I definitely Blood on Your Hands is is the track people will know the most, probably on this release, followed by Come Out and Red Rose. Red Rose has a beautiful new video and a beautiful interpretation of that track, and uh, and Come Out, you have the uh, CD bonus tracks the the rap air quotes rap version i feel like it's more like a spoke, <laughs> yeah, i feel like it's more like a gil scott heron <laughs> spoken word but uh yeah or the, yeah that's uh, what they called it that's what they called it when and, and when they right. when they first came out they called it the rap version but yeah you know it, it's i mean i can totally do um 
you know, the, the, uh, and, and in fact, the, the, I think it's on 13 mask or something. There's some, uh, some spoken stuff to a drum track and, 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 and that's could have, could have totally done that as a rap, but Michael was very insistent on do not do it on the beat, ignore <laughs> the beat, you know? So mm. instead of, you know, instead of you know singing it in the way that one would do, one would do as a rap artist today, I had to go against my instinct to do it on the beat, and I had to go off the beat so that he would be happy. Because <laughs> nothing can ever be obvious, and and nothing can ever be audience pleasing with him. It always has to be the opposite. <laughs> so, so yeah. That's so yes, right. and no. It's yeah. <laughs> it's right. more of a. You're right. It's 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 more of a. Um, yeah, but it's a spoken part. Yeah, it's a narr- narration. And the th- interesting thing about that, it's the, it's the second time that I know of where people have, uh, well, where there is a double entendre. So whereas my rap, my embellished rap, <clears throat> where I say I'm not talking to the boys, I mean, the, the, the embellished rap there was originally for me. Uh, we lived at the bunker. Where, that's what we called it. It was, a, it was basically a cement uh, block of a space and it had this you know little tiny uh, cage slit where we rehearsed which you could open to let their cigarette smoke out of the room because of course I didn't smoke and yeah so that was hell and so so then the front of the space had an old Radley air conditioning unit that didn't work but the unit was still there and it was in a cage that hung out over the sidewalk on 6th street Mm. So that was the only, and then of course in the winter that we would, you know, stuff that with, you know, old blankets and plastic to keep the freezing air out. But that, but then in the summer you'd open that up and then that was just, that was it for the outside world. So the people would walk by that, that um, air conditioning unit, uh, you know, at night on the sidewalk. And so I started writing down because, because the nightlife colorful uh, people that lived in the neighborhood on that street and in in East village then was very different than it is now. And in those days it was um, full of a lot of, uh, I guess one would say unsavory (laughs) characters and people that were involved in rather illicit, um, you know, activities. So you would, you know, it was a regular thing to hear, you know, pimps uh, uh, scolding and 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 saying uh, cruel things to prostitutes and 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 uh, drug dealers and everybody else would be walking by this window. This <laughs> is like a parade, you know, people. And so I started writing down phrases. So anyway, one of the things that I heard was a man walking down the street, and he and he said. Um, you know, I, 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 I take him, I pull my gun, I pull the trigger, you know, and, and so I wrote it all down. And so then I wrapped that, you know, and, that, and spoke that on the song. So he was, when he was talking about his skin, he was talking about a, a physical gun that he was probably going to kill somebody with. Whereas I, in, I interpreted as a, uh, as a, a, a sex toy for adults. So, <laughs> so that's a, so that's the real um, the real beginnings of that of that rap. <laughs> nice for the kids listening. We refer to this as the, glo- the glory days of New York, by the way, um, <laughs> before the shiny 
you know, illusory thing that we have now. Um, <clears throat> well, again, and while we're on the subject, quickly, I'll say there's another very popular song. I know this because I look at what my popular song, the popular songs are on Spotify. Well, this within, which I did with Neurosis, the, those words, um, that's another uh, uh, air conditioning vent hanging over the street <laughs> mm. because because um, this was uh, a guy um, walking down the street. Um, I mean, I would say there was also a lot of uh, pre-Giuliani. There was a lot of, uh, I guess I would say, people that lived in their own state of reality there on the streets. Um, kind of people that perhaps had some issues mentally. And so, so this one guy was walking down the street and he was saying, uh, you know, I tell you, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. God, you want to take me, God? You want to take me, God? Okay, God, you want to take me? Come on, come on, come on. So, so then that became, if God wants to take me, he will. <laughs> and, then, and, and then I turned it into take me. I turned it into, again, an analogy for take me, meaning a you know, sexual act. So then it goes into this kind of heavy panting, which is sounding like, you know, it's happening, <laughs> and so that so that whole whole uh, uh, sexual uh, uh, interpretation came from um, a person who was just you know, wandering on the street wildly, asking God to take him away. So, very colorful place to live. Indeed, those were the days, uh, as we like to say. Uh, of course, I don't want to lose the opportunity to ask you about the man I love, which is more of a traditional track, Miles. You know, the best known Miles composition or one of them. Uh, what an awesome choice and and what a great uh, rendition also. The whole idea there was um, we were, uh, my interest was in um, kind of classic jazz songs and interpreting them. And I say jazz, I, I mean uh, more of like, say, Julie London's Crimea River and, 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 and more like, um, you know, the idea of, the, of the, the formal, not the free form or modern jazz, but more of like the jazzy kind of uh, material that people were listening to in the 50s, you know, so and 60s. So, so that's where the whole man I, man I Love came from, was trying to interpret this kind of Gershwin song as, as um, something that was more, um, I guess, breathy and plaintive. And to the idea was was she would be breath breathy and plaintive and kind of um, um, I guess longing right but but then it, but then that would be completely turned around on its head with uh, the come out song so so it's like well what what are we you know so I, I realize now well, that was way ahead of its time it was sexual identity like questioning sexual identity is it is you know is it a man is it a woman is it a woman is it a man is it both i mean does you <laughs> do you want what do you want do you want both so you know this is i thought it came out really well to have the man i love but then come out right on i love that so much of course you know as we wind this down i want to give you back your day and i'm grateful for the opportunity to hear all these stories and talk to you uh, just any other impressions of that time from these recordings or uh, you know any other you know, things you want to mention and bring awareness to from that period of time in your career? The the freedom to, um, in a more formal environment of the big studios that we were able to uh, to work in, courtesy of Mute in, in London, this was uh, uh, quite an honor and for me and, and um, 
working with these incredible engineers like John Fryer at Blackwing Studios, where you know Blackwing is where all the for where the this mortal coil material was done, and and 4AD working there. So so this was um, like a historical. We worked at we worked at Conk Studios, which was owned by the Kinks, and the Kinks were actually there one day at the in the coffee station when <laughs> we were there to record. And it was just a lot of fun going around London and recording at different studios and meeting different and seeing. And then there was a at Conk Studio, um, which was where I laid down the piano for "Will Fall Apart." I, you would ascend a, a staircase, going up to this up in the sky grand piano with a glass, you know, plexiglass, whatever it was, box around it. I mean, it was you can't ask for something more. Uh, <laughs> You know, I mean, this is just fantastic to actually to actually um, be in a studio like that. So. So, um, yeah. So so I think I would say what I remember the most is just the, the growing and the learning experience of exploring the singer, the song and exploring the voice and exploring you know, becoming the different um, personas, different characters and all the different songs. And then I certainly can't forget the the willing centers that had worked with Mark Allman, you know, uh, the string section on 1000 years. And, you know, it was really kind of fabulous. We, we, we did video, we did a video for 1000 years for uh, Channel 4 in, in, the, in England. And uh, got to work with, you know, living pythons and <laughs> snakes all over my body. And, and so, yeah, so it was, it was a, a really kind of thrilling, you know, experience for, you know, a young woman to, to find herself in, in, in this fantastic uh, um, place and interest in her, her, you know, her voice and, 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 and then Michael and I just working so intimately together on this material. That was also a very, uh, you know, tremendous uh, amount of, 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 of learning that way, you know, the two of us were alone working on this material with the engineers. And so this was uh, exploring what we could do together and as a team. And I'm, I'm very pleased with the result. I think that this is, this album stands up. It's, it's, it still sounds great to me. So Amazing. Jarbo, Skin, Blood, Women, Roses is coming out for Record Store Day in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm sure voracious fans will find and track it down somehow. Also, I didn't mention as we close this up that, you know, this this album's release is going to support independent record stores, which is still vital and wonderful and important to me as much as it is the availability of music is everywhere digitally. Please go support your local businesses and stores, everyone listening. Jarbo, it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with Ghost Cult and me. It means a lot to me to get to chat with you after all this time. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. Check us out at ghostcultmag.com and follow our socials at Ghost Cult Mag. Until the next time, peace. <laughs>